It is true that we are a family of churches, that whether uh, you're aware of it or not, you are part of a bigger family, uh, not just of Candeo, but of, uh, I believe it's 26 churches around our, I mean, you have the wall right here, you can see it for yourself, but um, thanks so much for having me here. Matt and Lauren, they're, they're fantastic, you guys have a fantastic pastor, and can we just honor them this morning? Uh, when Matt joined the network, I was glad he was coming to Anthem because if he would have if he would have come to Cedar Falls, I would be out of a job because Matt is the new and improved. He is the 2.0. Uh, he is the OG. So um, it's crazy that it's been six years. We, if you come to Candeo, uh, just to speak to some of the affections that we have for you that you didn't know. Okay, so this might be a little weird, right? Uh, it'll feel like that that person you met that knows everything about you, but you didn't know they existed, right? And so for us, we have a wall in our foyer of, of our church plant. So Anthem was our very first church plant. And we since then, we have planted, uh, oh gosh, two other churches. And we're about to plant um, what would be now our fourth here in 2024. But Anthem is kind of like your first child. It's like you love all your children, but there's something special about your first child, like those years where it was just you and them, and you kind of built a relationship. You, you only had to focus on them, you know? And so I have a nine-year-old. that She's my first child, and we, there's a special bond. I love my son, but there's just something special and unique about the very first. And so Anthem, as the very first church plant of Candeo, there's something incredibly special about this place. And, and we have this wall, like I said, in our foyer where we've got our church plants. And uh, when Matt was up last time, he walked over to that wall and was like, Columbia, Missouri. I actually, that, that place doesn't exist. I was like, what are you talking about? And we had misspelled Columbia <laughs> to refer to like South America, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I know it's, I know you guys are more South than we are, not that far South, but so our graphics, we fired our graphics person. That's not true, but pretty close. No, um, but all that to say, we are so incredibly proud of you uh, at Candeo. We think of you and speak of you with tremendous affection, and it's awesome what God is doing in this place. Your church-wide retreat sounds amazing too, so I might come and crash that as well. But uh, if you have a Bible and you haven't already opened a Proverbs chapter 4, I want to invite you to do that. So uh, for this summer, you have been looking through the book of Proverbs, which is the Bible's most famous book on wisdom. It's the most famous book on wisdom, and what wisdom is, you've probably gotten several definitions of what wisdom is, but I, I, one of my favorite definitions of wisdom is skillfully living according to God's ways in the nuances of life. And every word in that definition is important. Skillfully living according to God's ways in the nuances of life. Because the issues of life are incredibly complicated. They're not cut and dry. It's not black and white. There's a tremendous amount of gray areas, aren't there? Like life is full of nuance. And for, for a lot of us, we often like like really clear and neat categories where, well, in this situation, you do this. And in this situation, you do that. We would like a manual for life that just tells us in whatever the situation is exactly what we should do. But life really isn't that way, is it? There's plenty of times where the rules don't neatly apply to the particular situation that you're in. For example, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was riding my bike and um, I was going down the bike trail and I come across this uh, concrete pillar that had spray painted on it, go faster. Pretty good advice. 
Like, if you're on a bike ride, that probably should be your objective. Go faster, get a good workout in. Like, probably the shortest motivational speech that you've ever heard, but it was, it was really appropriate for this situation. Except that right at that moment, at that concrete pillar, the path veered sharply to the right. So here's the thing. If you would have taken the good advice of go faster, and you would, if you would have applied it in that moment... You'd be off the path, you'd be off your bike for sure, probably tangled up in it, probably hurt on the side of the road. Good advice applied in the wrong moment could have led to a disastrous effect. You see, wisdom isn't just having the right information. It isn't just knowing the right things. I've, no, I've, known, I've known a lot of incredibly smart people. Uh, uh, one guy comes to mind, he, he graduated uh, with a master's in finance, and yet he lived paycheck to paycheck. You see, wisdom is not just knowing all of the right things. It's knowing how to use what you know when the right action isn't abundantly obvious. And so this summer, what you've been doing is you've been going through the book of Proverbs, and you've been seeing the wisdom of God, and you've been exploring how to apply that wisdom to the variety of situations that you come across in your life, to things like friendship and speech and patriotism and work and listening and planning, all of these things. But the question that we're going to answer this morning, I believe this is maybe the second to last week in your series in Proverbs. The question we need to answer before we end a series in Proverbs talking about God's wisdom and the nuances of life is, in all these things, work, friendship, patriotism, in all these things, what is at the root? Like, what's at the very beginning of wisdom? What's at the very beginning of being able to live wisely in the variety of scenarios that life will bring. What, what's, what's at the very root, you see? Because a lot of times in our lives, uh, things that we try to work on are often fruit issues, right? They're the things that are visible. They're the, they're the things that are seen. They're the things that are obvious. They're the things that we look at in our life or in our family or in our children, and we go, that's a problem. We see the fruit issues. But what we really need to do is we, we need to step back and go, what's at the root of this? We had, a, we had a college student who lived with us a number of years ago. Uh, her name was Nikki, and fantastic girl. Uh, I go downstairs. Uh, we keep our college students in the basement, and because um, <laughs> that's where there's space for them. And uh, I go downstairs because uh, we shared laundry. And so I go down there, and I smell something kind of weird. I was like, what? What is that smell? I hadn't been down there in a little while. And Nikki was down there. I'm like, I'm like, Nikki, what is that smell? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, something smells funky. Like, it smells off, right? And she, she had been, like, you know, uh, burning candles and stuff, though it, it was, you know, lease agreement, whatever. I don't care. Um, she was burning candles, little scentsy things, whatever. And she had been covering up this smell, just thinking, like, well, just, I don't know, it's just a smell, and just burning candles. Well, so I, I go into her room, I get down on the floor, and I begin to... I, weird. I begin to smell the floor, right? Because I'm like, I'm trying to just follow the smell. And come to find, we take all the things out of a room, pull it back. There's a floor drain that I knew nothing about. I didn't know it existed. That had like backed up and it was all gross and grimy. This is where the smell was coming from. You see, what Nikki was doing is what she was addressing a fruit issue. 
She was just covering up something that was just kind of obviously apparent. But until we got to the root of the problem, until we got to the very beginning, until we tracked it all the way to the front, the smell would have never gone away. She would have, she would have burned through all of Bed Bath & Beyond's candles, all of them. <laughs> she would have bought them all out on that, you know, buy one, get 14 free sale that they have. You know, she would have just kept doing that. We would have never fixed the problem. So the question this morning is, what causes wise living? Where does a wise life come from? So Proverbs 4, we'll actually start here in verse 20, because I want us to see something before we answer that question. It says, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Real quick, notice what's happening here. This might be, you might be like, I should have stayed in bed. This is too obvious, Jake. But what's happening here is you have a father speaking to a son, telling him the way of wisdom. Unless we think that this is an isolated event, that this is just kind of like just one talk that this father had with his son. If we go back to the very beginning of chapter 4, in verse 3, he says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments, and live. This was a common occurrence for the writer of Proverbs, that his dad would pull him aside and speak words of life and wisdom into him. You see, the basic starting point is one generation passing on the wisdom of the Lord to the next generation. One generation passing on the wisdom of the Lord to the next generation. This is an older man having walked with God, having, having seen the joy of walking with the Lord and the, the, the pain of walking in folly. He's pulling his son aside and saying, listen to what I have to say. Listen to what the Lord has shown me. Listen to the wisdom that God has given me as I have walked in the experience of life and walking with the Lord. Listen, which tells us a few things here. First of all, for those of us who are young, now young's relative, I get that. I'm older than some of you. I'm younger than some of you. It's very unlikely that you are the oldest person you know possible, but very unlikely, which means that you are younger than someone. Everyone in this room is probably younger than someone that you know. Here's what this means. For those of us who are younger, we must value the voices of our older saints who are among us. We have to. Like, yes, you are a church, Candeo is a church. We are a network with a focus on the next generation. But make no mistake that we as the next generation of the church desperately need the wisdom of older saints who have gone before us. My prayer for Anthem Church, my prayer for Candeo, my prayer for our network is that our churches would be filled with college students but would also be filled with people with a lot of gray hair a lot of gray hair. People, people who put up with the loud music. People like, like Jeff, who's rocking out on the bass. Jeff, where are you? Right here? Come on. Get, I don't know how old you are, Jeff. 
I assume you're older than me. <laughs> yeah, I learned something this morning. If you want people to stop complaining about the, about the level of bass, just get an old guy to play the bass. And then you're just like, well, it's Jeff's fault. And he's older than you, so he's fine with it. Right? But like, we need older people to be in our churches. I was talking to Matt last night. That, that's, one of, that's one of his prayers for you is that Anthem Church would be a church that focuses wholeheartedly on the next generation but has the wisdom of older people and younger people who are willing to listen to that wisdom, who don't just think that, that the older people in our midst are old and outdated, they don't understand what's going on, but know that they have actually walked with God longer than you've been alive probably and that they have something to say, that God has shown them something over the course of their life that you have not yet seen but that they would love to show you. If only you would have eyes to see and ears to listen. We need spiritual mothers and fathers in our midst. People who have walked with God. People who have experienced him. People who have seen his faithfulness. We need their voices. And so here's the thing. If you're the youngest, if you find yourself in a room and you are the youngest person in that room, it would be wise. I'm not saying don't say anything, but it would be wise for you to be the one that probably talks the least so that you can hear what others have to say of the faithfulness of God in their lives. And now I know that age doesn't automatically equal wisdom. I understand that. But what I'm talking about and what we see here in Proverbs is a man who has walked with God and is sharing with his son. He has something to pass on. So here's the thing. So younger people, those of us who are younger, we must have ears to listen, but here's the thing. You older believers, while we younger believers need to have ears that listen, you older believers need to have mouths that speak. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Notice this. The father is taking the initiative to begin the conversation with his son. Did you notice that? It's not the son going like, man, I just wish my dad would stop being passive and that he would just speak up. Like, I would listen if he would just say something. No, this is the father recognizing his place in the son's life, in the younger generation's life, and saying, hey, God has shown me some things, and I want to pull you alongside, and I want to share with you what God has shown me. If you are an older believer, you must have a mouth that speaks the wisdom of God to the next generation. You have a stewardship and an obligation to engage the next generation with what the Lord has shown you. Use your voice for encouragement. You, you, you could be a hole in the boat for the next generation, or you could be wind in their sails. Use your voice for encouragement. Use your voice for teaching. Don't sit back and whine about not knowing your place in a next-generation church. Like, you want to know what your place is in a next-generation church? It's to take the initiative to get to know the younger people in our midst to, and to invest in them. Invite them over to your house. Here's the thing that I found about, uh, about having college students in our home. They notice things that I would never notice. Like, they, they notice that my forks are a little heavier than their forks. I did not get my forks at Ikea. <laughs> like they notice that when they go to get a glass for water, that it's actually a glass. It's glass. 
and not plastic, right? Like they notice that, that, the, that the carpet has padding underneath it. And it's been vacuumed in this decade. And it's just like, whoa, blows their mind. Like they can go into my bathroom and not be afraid of getting a disease. You know, like just being in the home of an older person. They notice these little things. They notice the way you parent your kids. They notice the way you speak of your spouse. They notice the way you speak of what the Lord has done. Invite them into your home. Believe it or not, uh, if you're older in this room, college students are more afraid of you than you are of them. I know that's crazy, but they are. So how about you take the initiative? It might feel weird. Oh, my word, the investment you could have in their life the impact you could have in their life, the role you could play. You don't know their family life. You don't know their relationship with their parents. You could be the greatest expression of the fatherly love of God in their life that they have ever had, of the motherly love of God in their life that they have ever had. Speak up and reach out. Now notice, verse 20 and verse 21, he doesn't say necessarily to obey his words. He doesn't necessarily say to memorize them, but he says to keep them within his heart. Keep them within your heart. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then here's the point of the whole sermon. If you don't remember any verse or anything that we've said, the whole point of the whole sermon, answering the question, where does, a life, where does the life that accords with wisdom come from? Verse 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. You see, a wise life isn't first a matter of your actions. A wise life begins at the level of your affections. A wise life doesn't begin at the hand level. A wise life begins at the heart level. Or put it another way, your affections, the affections of your heart determine the actions of your life. The affections of your heart determine the actions of your life. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it isn't just talking about your feelings. When we think of the heart, we think, oh, that's the seat of the emotions, this is all about feelings. No. When the Bible talks about the heart, what it's talking about is our deepest devotions, our deepest desires, our deepest convictions. It's the sum total of our inner life. You see, your, your heart is whatever you believe that you need to have in order to live life joyfully. That's your heart. It's whatever gives you your greatest motivation. It's whatever gives you your greatest reason for hope. It's whatever gives you your ultimate sense of security, of rootedness. And so you might ask, how, what does that have to do with wisdom? Everything. Everything. Because here's what's true, is that whatever your heart has decided is your ultimate love will determine the way you make every decision that you make every decision, whatever you have decided, and you, here's what's probably true, is you probably aren't aware that you've done this. 
you probably aren't aware that you have already decided what is the ultimate, what are the ultimate loves of your heart? What are your ultimate affections? You probably haven't even thought about it. But here's what's true, is that they are from the minute you woke up this morning to the minute you'll go to bed tonight, they are determining the decisions that you make all throughout your day, all throughout your week, all throughout your life. It'll inform every word you say, every action you take, and every decision you make. And so if you want to live a life of wisdom according to Proverbs, you need to be very aware of what is controlling your inner life. You need to be very aware of what your greatest affections are. You need to be very aware of what your greatest allegiances are. So how does this work? Here's a few ways that this works. Let's say children. Children, for you, aren't just a good thing, but they're an ultimate thing. They're your greatest affection, that, that their happiness, their success, their love of you is the ultimate thing for you. Here's what will happen. Is you will either be incredibly overbearing because you need them to be perfect because when they are perfect, that's a reflection of you and that makes you happy. You'll either be incredibly overbearing or you won't discipline them at all because you're afraid that if you introduce discipline into their life that they will not like that and therefore not like you. If children aren't just a good thing, and children are a good thing, by the way, they're a gift from the Lord. If children aren't just a good gift, but an ultimate gift, if they go from being a gift to being God, but then you aren't able to have children you will find yourself never being able to be happy for your friends who are able to have children. My wife and I have had, we have two kids, we've had five miscarriages. Or let's say your image. The way you look, the, the persona you bring, that you get across to people, let's say your image what other people think of you isn't just something that you're aware of. It's good to be aware of, like, the way that people perceive you. That's a good thing. That's just called being human. But if that's not just a good thing but an ultimate thing for you, then you're going to spend an incredible amount of time and money on how you look. You're going to be way, way too concerned about how you look. You're going to spend so much time in the mirror before every time you step out of your house, out of your apartment, you're going to be so abundantly aware of how you're coming across the world. Or maybe it won't be your looks, but maybe it'll be your personality, the way you come across people. And so here's what will happen is if you are ultimately concerned about your image before people, you will either talk incessantly, right, and you'll find a way to somehow bring every conversation back around to you around to your experiences, around to what you think. Like somehow this person was talking and now you're talking and now it's back about you. Or you'll be so incredibly shy that you won't say a thing to anyone because you're crippled by fear that you'll come across the wrong way. You're, you're crippled by the fact that you might say something dumb and then they'll think you're dumb and then I can't handle that. And so I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be shy, I'm gonna sit in the corner, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, get away from people. If your image is the ultimate thing in your life. You see how that works? 
Maybe it's your marriage. Or let's say, uh, let's say relationships. If being in a relationship isn't just a good thing, but is an ultimate thing for you, you'll either end up being way too picky, way too picky. I mean, you'll have your list like, they gotta be like this, they gotta look like this, they gotta have, you'll have all of your criteria, just all, and no one's got, you're gonna be, be like Goldilocks, you know? Like, that one's, you probably won't say they're too hot, you know, but like, like not hot enough, you know? And you kind of go through your list, and like, no one will be good at it. Like, Jesus himself probably wouldn't match your criteria. You'll be way too picky, or you'll be so desperate to be with someone that you won't really have any standards at all. And you'll just go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship because for you, your ultimate thing is loving to be loved, needing to be needed, wanting to be wanted. And so you'll look for that anywhere, to anyone who will give it to you. Or maybe let's say you do end up getting married. What will happen is if your marriage becomes your ultimate thing, you'll become emotionally dependent. You'll become overbearing. You'll, you'll begin to expect your spouse to be for you what only God can be for you. By the way, you'll be incredibly disappointed if that's the case. I could go on. Money, the appearance of success, work. But don't you see, whatever the ultimate love of your heart is, it will determine the decisions that you make in every decision of life. And what Proverbs is saying is that if you want to live a life of wisdom, then you must pay attention to what your heart is most dutifully committed to. Because what you love determines how you live. What you love determines how you live. Uh, maybe some of you have been uh, around church enough to remember that old, that old hymn, right? Come thou fount of every blessing. And what's the, what's the next line there? Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Tune my heart Oh, what a, what a great way to say that. You see, because the reality is that our hearts are like instruments. Our hearts are like instruments. And any musician who is worth their salt is, will go to great lengths to make sure that their instrument is in tune. That's why sometimes probably, I'm guess if, you're, if anthem's anything like Candeo, at the end of the message, inevitably, whoever's leading worship that morning, during, you know, while we're praying, you'll hear that, twang, twang, and you're like, what is Nick doing? Like, why is he playing the guitar so poorly? And it's not because he's playing, it's because he's tuning. Because any musician worth their salt wants their instrument to be in tune. But you see, here's the thing, your tuning is only as good as your point of reference. So, so see, see how this works, all right? So I, I brought my guitar, this is my guitar. In a former life, I was a worship leader. Nick's, Nick's much better than me, though. So here's how this works. So we have this, uh, this old piano in our living room. Uh, it was given to us by a former youth pastor, and I think it has been tuned never. So no joke. Like, <laughs> I've never tuned it. He never tuned it. He had it for 15 years. Never tuned it. Never tuned. And so here's what happens. So I sit down, and I take my instrument, and again, you're... Your tuning is relative to your point of reference. And so I tune my guitar to that piano, which then sounds like this. 
You ready for this? Can I make the worship team that? Can I play after? The, no, no, of course not. That's terrible. That, if you didn't think that was terrible, by the way, that's a you problem. Like, like that's on you. That was bad. That was bad. <laughs> See, here's the thing. That wasn't great. But here's what happens. Here's what would happen if I felt like that was okay, which is not. But if I felt like that was okay, here's what I'd be doing. I would be dishonoring, if I can use these, this pretty strong language, but I think it's worth it. I would be dishonoring the instrument, and I would be dishonoring its maker, right? Like if the guy who passed, who, you know, passed quality control on this, C.F. Martin would be turning in his grave, because he's like, I did not invest my life for... Like, just throw in the garbage, you know? Like, it's such a, it's, it's so dishonoring to the creator of the instrument to just leave it out of tune and think that that's all right. Because your tuning is relative to your point of reference. And so what you do is you give it a perfect point of reference, like this little tuner up here, guitar players, Peterson strobe tuner, Right? Just go through every string. This is what Nick's going to do after the message. And now you know what he's doing. He's not being a jerk. At least in this way. Nick's not a jerk. I love Nick. Nick was at Candeo, and we hated him moving down here. But we're glad he, we're glad he did. So here's what you do. Now we're getting closer. And you tune back over every string. Jeff, you did this with your bass before the service. And you tune according to a perfect point of reference. You see how that works? Perfect point of reference. Now, now you could say that the instrument resounds with the wisdom of beautiful music. Because now you have tuned it to a proper point of reference. But here, here's what so many of us do, is that we go around in our life and we begin to tune our hearts to the shifting pitches of a hundred different points of references. That when I go home and I look at my kids and I say, what, what do you want from me? What do you think it means for me to be a good dad? When I go to my workplace and I go, how can I, how can I ultimately serve this because I want to make the most amount of money when I am in a relationship and they don't seem happy with me? And it's like, do I look bad? Am I, am I acting poorly? Like, what do you want from me? When I, and I'm tuning myself to every little thing that my finances, oh, the stock market's down. Now my whole life has been ruined. My team lost because that matters. And all of a sudden, you've tuned yourself. I'll make that worse. And now you wonder why it's so hard to make decisions in the nuances of life. And you walk around going, I just want to discern God's will. And yet you have done nothing to tune your heart to the perfect point of reference of Jesus Christ. And so you walk around confused, scared, probably at times, wondering how in the world... Do I know the wisdom 
of God. Is your heart in tune this morning? You say, how do I tune my heart? What a great question. Notice what I didn't do to that guitar. What I didn't do was I didn't play it, notice it sounds terrible, and then start yelling at it to just play the right notes. If you've ever taught a kid how to play an instrument, you know that doesn't work. <laughs> Sitting at the piano, playing, just play the right notes. That's like, that's not helpful. I didn't yell at it to play the right notes. You don't tune an instrument by just telling it to not play the wrong notes and play the right notes. No, you tune an instrument by hearing the right note and adjusting your pitch accordingly. And so how do you tune your heart away from affections for lesser things? How do you do that? I would suggest that you look to a greater affection, that you behold a greater beauty. Thomas Chalmers, who was a, a Scottish minister and theologian in the 1800s, said, this is the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he meant by that is that it's only when Christ becomes the delight of our heart, it, it's only when that, when that happens, when Christ becomes the delight of our heart, that the old lesser desires will begin to lose their grip over us. It's the expulsive, it's the, it's the displacing power of a new and greater affection. It's only when you see Christ as beautiful and worship him as God that you can stop expecting anything else in this life to be for you what only God can be for you. It's only when you see the beauty and splendor of Christ that you can have a loose-gripped hold on your finances because though they matter, Christ is your greatest treasure. It's only when you see Christ in his beauty that you'll be able to stop living under the tyranny of the bathroom scale or the vanity mirror. You say, how do I check the tuning of my heart? That's how I tune my heart. How do I even know if my heart is in tune, out of tune? Well, I think the following verses in Proverbs 4, real quickly, help us know if our tuning, the tuning of our heart is close. Look at verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. So look at the things you say. Look at the things you say. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so you want to check the tuning of your heart. Look at the kinds of things that you say. Look at the way that you talk about people. Look at the way that you talk to people. Look at the kind of language that you use. Are, are you very flippant with your words? Do you, do you just talk incessantly? Like, look at what you say. Look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. So look at what you say, verse 24, then verse 25. Look at what gets your attention. Look at what you delight in looking at. What would your browser history on your phone say that you delight in looking at? What does your screen time say you delight in looking at? What are the shows that you watch, the websites that you visit? 
Because here's what's true, is that you will eventually become what you most consistently behold. We become what we behold. So pay attention to what you say. Look at the things that get your attention. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. So look at what you say, look at what gets your attention, and then verse 26, look at what you do. Look at what you actually do. Look at how you schedule your time. Look at how you budget your money. What? Two of the greatest ways to be able to tell the true affections of your heart is how you schedule your time and how you budget your money. Because that will reveal what you actually love. You can say you love one thing all day, but if your actions say something else, you actually love that. You actually love the thing that you spend the most money on. You actually love the thing that you give the most time to. Look at your time. Look at your money. What does what you do say that you actually love? Friends, what you love determines how you live. And so the question this morning is, when was the last time you assessed the tuning of your heart? When was the last time you asked yourself why you make the decisions you make, why you do the things that you do, why you love the things that you love? What you love determines how you live. So brothers and sisters of Anthem Church, Columbia, Missouri, tune your heart and tune it often. Notice any good musician does not just tune their instrument once. Nick over here was right before the service is over in this corner saying, man, the temperature in this room totally affects the way that my guitar is tuned. Absolutely. Just one small difference in degree can totally change the tuning. Tune your heart. And tune it often. Saturate yourself in God's, in the perfect pitch of God's word. In the perfect pitch of his glory and of his splendor. So that when we do, so that when we tune our lives according to Jesus Christ, that our lives will resound with the beautiful wisdom of God. As he gives us wisdom and the nuances of life. And as we walk according to his ways in those nuances for our good and for his glory and for the good of the places that God has given you to be for his influence, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for having me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for not being a God who has not spoken but who has revealed himself. And not only have you spoken, you have given us the perfect wisdom of God in Jesus Christ, the embodiment of your wisdom. And so, Lord, would we daily, hourly, minute by minute, be infatuated with, saturated by the beauty of Christ. Oh, and Holy Spirit, would you use the beauty of Christ as we behold his glory, would you take that and tune our hearts to your grace? Oh, Father, would our affection for Jesus Christ displace our inordinate affections for lesser things? We pray this for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.